Hello, welcome to Politics Weekly with Finn Peterson. Today I give my thoughts on some news stories that I view as significant. Today we're going to be talking about the Texas primary elections and the State of the Union address. All right, so recently President Joe Biden did his State of the Union address. Um, and polls showed that um, he was actually, uh, that public perception was actually fairly strong in order to the State of the Union address. His fairly low approval ratings did actually get a slight increase. And eight in 10 voters, I think, approved of the State of the Union address, according to a recent poll. And he touched on issues like the Ukraine aggression. And he did, um, um, it was somewhat moderate and unifying by talking about things like jobs in the economy mostly, um, as well as touching on some concerns of inflation. But also um, what I found notable was that there were these two members of Congress, these, I just can't put it more bluntly than this, lunatics to be honest, uh, Lauren Boebert and that woman from Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who shouted out during the State of the Union address in some ways kind of similar to Joe Wilson on, in 2009 with the you like quote um, in 2009. Um, so that was odd and I just didn't really understand that, but that was interesting, but Overall, for Biden, it was good politically, I think. And that's all I have to say on the Biden State of the Union address. Um, it's Friday, and first Friday after the month is the jobs report. And the February jobs report came out, and I think it showed that the unemployment rate dropped from 4% to 3.8%. And that the U.S., that the economy created 678,000 jobs in the month of February. I mean, that's not surprising considering that it was a very strong showing. It's more surprising, I think, when um, last month, when it was much stronger than expected because of the Omicron variant and usually the public health look dramatically affects the jobs report. At least that's how I've been seeing it. And that is a good moment for Biden politically. And the economy has been growing fast um, with wages are up. And and there's, oh, I think there were 6 million or so jobs created last year. And things are generally getting better um, after the economic downturn of the COVID-19 pandemic. But one thing that isn't so great for the president is, of course, inflation. So that's going to be a difficult issue for him to cross politically. But the economy is growing fastest rate since 1984, in fact. In 1984, inflation was 4.3%, above the 2% that most economists want. And uh, and it's grown at roughly the same pace as that. And now inflation is at 7.5%. So one could argue that it's just because of supply chain issues due to COVID-19. Another could argue that, oh, it's government spending. So it depends on which perspective you look at it, and I bet varying economists would have varying predictions on why this inflation is happening, but nonetheless, um, strong showing in the job market and wage growth as well. So, But inflation will remain an obstacle for the economy for the foreseeable future.
and I believe, and sometimes jobs reports do get revisions, so it could be revised up. So we'll see about that. And the unemployment rate did drop below four percent for the first time in a while, which was pretty significant in many respects. About how during the start of the pandemic, during the start of this presidency, I think the unemployment rate was closer to six and a half percent. Now it's under four percent. And also during the Trump administration, right during Mar April, right during April, um, after a bunch of the COVID shutdowns and the pandemic started to get on, is that the jobs report, I think 23 million jobs were lost and the unemployment rate skyrocketed to 14% and there was significant economic turmoil and then Congress passed the CARES Act drive unemployment down a little bit more after that, but still hasn't fully recovered. And then the American Rescue Plan was passed and then it recovered slightly a bit more. And now it's continued to be recovering. Mm -hmm. And Biden, during his State of the Union address, also touched on his passing of the bipartisan infrastructure deal and how it will impact Americans. Um, that bipartisan infrastructure deal got 19 Senate votes and 13 House votes from Republicans and passed with bipartisan support. So that was a big deal for Biden. And that came just days after when it was signed into law, just days after the, a bit of a setback for the Biden administration was Terry McCullough's defeat in Virginia. So that just did help him out a little bit more politically and also yeah, about the bipartisan infrastructure bill. You talked about that and also talked about the American Competes Act and efforts to for chip manufacturing to improve the prices of used cars because many chips are manufactured overseas and Biden aims to bring it back to bring manufacturing back to the United States. He mentioned specifically about Intel potentially receiving a federal grant to make a chip manufacturing plant in Columbus, Ohio, and you know, see how that will go. Meanwhile, that at the same night as the State of the Union, the Texas primary elections happened. On the Republican side, it's interesting, and on the Democratic side, it's not as interesting, but still worth noting. So on the Democratic side, Better or Work will be going against the controversial Republican governor, Greg Abbott, who's made a name for himself in the in recent in recent months of the of I think a new law that would put people who seek gender affirming care and wouldn't like report them to child protective services and of course the vigilante abortion law that Texas passed a few months ago. Um, so that's gonna be yeah he's been controversial and polarizing but due to that Greg Abbott won the Republican primary easily and Better O'Rourke won the Democratic primary easily. Interestingly enough, though, Greg Abbott's opponent was Alan West, a former congressman from Florida, though he's running in Texas, which is a bit questionable um, and suspicious, if you ask me, but there's other, but it's not the first scenario of residency and ethics issues. And, um, and for Attorney General, the incumbent Attorney General, Ken Paxton, and He's going against the land commissioner, George P. Bush. And what happened is that Ken Paxton, and there were a few other candidates like Lou Gormer, for example, the, the controversial congressman, were all running for attorney general of Texas. And none of them got 50%. So it's going to be going on to a runoff that the election will take 
place until June. And in, in between that, there's gonna be several primaries and several key battleground states, which I'll touch on in a moment. But yeah, that's gonna be interesting. And also on the Republican side, something interesting happened in a congressional race where Van Taylor, a Republican incumbent, um, didn't receive 50% of the vote, although he was leading. Um, he was controversial for his vote in favor of the bipartisan January 6th commission, which the Republicans used somewhat effectively against him, but still got the majority of the vote, but didn't exactly win. And then he recently announced that he was suspending his campaign after I think he got into an affair scandal. So that's going to be interesting. And on the Democratic side, there's not much to point out other than better work winning the Democratic primary easily, most of the incumbents winning easily. But one interesting race is in the South Texas area by um, McAllen, um, by McAllen, Texas, and many Latino, like 70% Latino district that Clinton won easily, but a lot of these people were concerned about like socialism and in the same way that Cubans shifted in 2020 towards the right. So did some Central American Hispanics in um, Texas in that congressional district that Henry Pueller, um, I don't know, is that how you pronounce it? The incumbent Democrat is running against a more progressive Jessica Sinieris, um, who's seen as much more progressive, but she gained a little bit of hope um, after Hewler got into, I think there's an FBI raid of his office. He's a bit more of a moderate. He's a member of the Blue Dog Coalition. So we'll see about that. And Republicans view this as an opportunity politically and theoretically well-rated year because of how it's pretty much precedent at this point that the party in the White House lose seats. So Republicans view that as an opportunity no matter what. And there's going to be a runoff between Hewler and Cisneros on in I believe June. Um, in the meantime, okay. In the meantime, there are a few Senate primaries. The next one up, I think, would be in Ohio, um, I think in May. So about two months from now, there's going to be another primary election. Um, in this case, it's going to be Ohio, where JD Vance and Josh Mandel will battle it out in the Republican primary. As Tim Ryan, I bet will I suspect will win the Democratic primary easily. Yeah, Rob Portman is retiring, so that seat is going to be open. And both of them are very right wing. Um, JD Vance, um, a former author, um, is running to replace Portman, and he's got the endorsement of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Josh Hawley. So that's going to be an interesting precedent. And, he's, and then Josh Mandel, the former state treasurer, actually ran against Sharon Brown in 2012, but lost. But lost. And so it's going to see how that, we'll see how that will go. But he made a name for himself by being much, much more right-wing. And I didn't, and he even like openly backing the fact that the election was stolen, even though that's clearly, clearly demonstrably false. He is backing off on that. And he's trying to chin up his conservative base by doing that. And also because he's this, because he's well known and wasn't a statewide office, he seems like that's a good opportunity politically. And JD Vance is a bit more of a newcomer. So we'll see how that goes, how the voters in Ohio will choose their candidate. And in the Senate primaries, yeah, almost equally as interesting as the Secretary of state primaries. I'll touch on that in a moment, but the 
Also, I believe in North Carolina, I think around the same day as the Ohio primary, I believe that um, the Republican primary, it will be um, Richard Burr, the Republican who did in fact vote to impeach Trump, um, is going to be retired. So um, Democrats see that as an opportunity with an open seat, but it's theoretically going to be a red wave here with Biden's low approval rating and historical precedent. But the Republican candidates, there's only two um, so far. The former governor, Pat McCrory, who lost to Maury Cooper in 2016 after the transgender bathroom bill controversy and lost very narrowly to the attorney general, now governor, Maury Cooper, who's a Democrat. Um, and he is running against Ted Budd, a, Congress, a right-wing congressman from North Carolina who did object to the 2020 certification. and. That's going to be a bit more. So it's going to see about whether Democrats could use that as an opportunity politically. And they're running against, I believe, the former Associate Justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court, Sherry Beasley, who, if elected, will be the first Black woman to serve in, the, in North Carolina as a United States Senator. So that would be interesting. But because it's a red wave year, theoretically, I suspect that will go to the Republicans. But you never know. What I do think, yeah. And in Senate primaries, a few other states, Missouri, Eric Greitens, and a few other Republican candidates, a few other congressmen, and it seems like Greitens, the scandal plague infamous former governor, who resigned due to a blackmail scandal and sexual assault allegations. He's going to be running for he's going to be running for Senate because Roy Blunt's seat is open. He's retiring. Roy Blunt is. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but Eric Greitens is scandal plagued, and Democrats see that as an opportunity, but Jason Kander or McCaskill or and no other, I don't think there's many prominent Democratic names running, so that's going to be a bit interesting how it might be a hard move politically and also Missouri can turn into the right but if somebody is scandal plague enough maybe they hope they can get him especially considering what happened with the nightmare for the Republican Party in 2012 after their Republican senatorial candidate got into a lot of controversy um, that's comments so we'll see how that goes but yeah but what's interesting is that their candidates may seem like scandal plague and they have no chance of winning, but because how bad the national environment is for Democrats and also theoretically that, oh, Trump did it and ultimately he used the same playbook as Trump and that and they just use the same tendencies that they have a real good shot of winning some of these races and that they could use that to their advantage. And also yeah, in Georgia, um, Brad Raffensperger, the person who was in that infamous phone call with Trump, quote unquote, I want to, I just want to find 11,780 votes. Trump called Brad Raffensperger about that. And he is running to keep his job for Secretary of State for re-election. And he's going against a Republican congressman named Jody Heiss in Georgia, who objected to the 2020 certification and promoted basis conspiracy theories about fraud. So it might be a bit of a tough move for Raffensperger politically, and Trump has also endorsed Heist, so, and Trump pretty much has a stranglehold, and 
pretty much capped, pretty much the entire Republican Party is captured by Donald Trump and has a stranglehold on power in the Republican politics for the foreseeable future. And due to that, it might be very difficult for Mr. Raffenberger to win re-election as the chief election officer and as Secretary of State in Georgia. Also, um, in Georgia, the Senate race, um, Raphael Warnock is up for re-election, and he is going against a football star. Um, um, seems most likely that he's going to win the Democratic primary easily, but the Republican primary, the Agricultural Commissioner Gary Black is running for the Senate, but he doesn't stand much of a chance. But who does? It's Herschel Walker, and he is going to be most likely the Republican winner, despite some questions about his ethics, like, for example, that he's been living in Texas for the past decade, even though he's running in Georgia. And also uh, a report by the Associated Press reveals that he has allegations of domestic abuse, including a police report and threatening to shoot his ex-wife. So that's going to be interesting how that will come up, whether it will be as interesting as it is in Pennsylvania, but no strong Parnell. So, yeah, that's going to be very, very interesting to see what's going to happen in Georgia. Warnock is a good candidate and has been like a rising Democratic superstar and has been a very good candidate. And Walker's probably not the best candidate that they could put out there, but considering how things go in Georgia has historically leaned more conservative leaning over the years. Even with Democrats making inroads, it's still generally the conservative. So Republicans view that as an opportunity to do that to get a bit more of a, a candidate. And also the fact that Walker is black, they think that they can make inroads on the heavily dominant African-American voting base and potentially make inroads there. So we'll see. And in Pennsylvania, the Senate race is kind of, is kind of complex. Um, David McCormick, a former hedge fund executive, is running. And Dr. Mehmet Oz, of course, he's been known for promoting weight loss scams and, and deceptive advertising, deceiving consumers constantly. And he's actually been to the United States Senate. He was grilled in front of uh, Senator McCaskill. He would probably not want to talk about that, but nonetheless, he is running for Senate, which Despite Andy's running Pennsylvania to replace Pat Toomey, he has an open seat. And he has some questionable ethics behind him. And also is running in, and he's also running in Pennsylvania, despite the fact that he lives in New Jersey and has voted there as recently as 2020. So that's going to be interesting for an ethics debate to bring up. And David McCormick seems to be making inroads, but then there was a straw poll where neither McCormick or um, Dr. Remit Oz had a lead. Um, so it's going to be interesting whether or not. So there's really no clear front runner because straw polls are kind of unscientific, but still it's just kind of the Republican Party in Pennsylvania is just kind of going to kind of running without a clear front runner. And on the Democratic side, it seems to be between a progressive lieutenant governor, John Fetterman, and a congressman named Connor Lamb. And, an army veteran. So we'll see how that goes. Um, that'll be interesting, but nonetheless, it's going to be an interesting race. I'm fascinated to see what happens in that race in Pennsylvania. I mean, New Jersey. Yes, I
and then Secretary of State in Arizona, um, Mark Fincham, the a Republican state representative who attended the January 6th insurrection. Yes, I know it's insane, but nonetheless, he did attend the January 6th insurrection. Um, yeah, he attended the January 6th insurrection, which is completely crazy. And he's going to be running against, I think, a state senator for the Republican nomination, Magenta Rita, who's crazy, but not as crazy as Fincham. So we'll see about that. And on the Democratic side, it seems like former county recorder Adrian Fontes and the House Minority Leader uh, Baldy. So we'll see how that goes. But Fincham has raised a lot of money and seems like he has potential, which is kind of scary if you ask me about him overseeing elections. After all, the incumbent Secretary of State Democrat Katie Hobbs is going to be running for governor. So that's going to be an open seat. And Republicans eye this as a political opportunity, despite how scandalous uh, Mr. Fincham is and his extremely questionable ethics and his role in January 6th um, riot. And also the fact that there was a story out in the Arizona Republic about him that he was, in fact, in the fake electors. That was an article from the Arizona Republic. So that is going to potentially be litigation and maybe that Maybe if that he wins easily, maybe if he wins in the, not easily, of course, but maybe if he wins for Secretary of State in 20, um, 2022, but maybe down the line, 2026, et cetera, that he could be a liability for the Republican Party about just how much, how scandalous, how questionable ethics are, and et cetera. So that's going to be an interesting and fascinating race to watch. And in Michigan, where Jocelyn Benson, the Democrat, is running the running for re-election for Secretary of State, a far-right conspiracy theorist named Christina Caramo, I think, is running on the Republican side. And though she's not pulling very well, and she's questioned things like vaccines, childhood vaccines, not COVID-19 vaccines, but childhood vaccines um, in the past, and also has promoted election conspiracy theories and suggested that Jocelyn Benson should have gone to prison for supposedly stealing the election, which she did not, of course, I'll clarify that, but it's just just depressing, yes. And just egregious, but unfortunate time. And so that's so these those races will be extremely fascinating and at the same time Kind of worrying to watch and also in colorado where um jenna griswold the incumbent democrat will be running for re-election and the republican who seems like the most likely to win would be um who seems most likely to win the primary is tina peters who in fact was investigated by the secretary of state um for illegally compromising the security of her elections equipment as the Mesa County clerk. So that's going to be interesting. And as also promoted like QAnon conspiracy theories and the big lie and it pretended the my pillow guys cyber cyber symposium and just a bunch of nonsense. So it's gonna be interesting to see, but it's also it could be worrying about whether or not you have complete lunatics. <laughs> for no better word 
delusional lunatics just running the country these elections because you know secretary of state they're not in charge of who wins but they're in charge of administering how elections are administrated things like how to get polling places set up etc so in some circumstances that's what the county recorders and clerks but at the same time it would still have a massive impact and could actually be very alarming in some circumstances and democrats do see centralized for opportunity in places like wisconsin where there's going to be a competitive primary between the state treasurer and the lieutenant governor and, and mr Nelson and i think a businessman named tom nelson in wisconsin for the senate primary on whether to defeat um, the controversial incumbent Republican Senator Ron Johnson, who's made a name for himself for promoting conspiracy theories about the vaccine, refusing to get vaccinated against COVID-19 itself, falsely claiming that athletes are dropping dead because of the COVID-19 vaccine, and promoted things like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and mouthwash to kill the coronavirus, and, and also is just very old and has made a few gaps on occasion, but he's a good campaigner and knows how to win. So we'll see about that. But I think that's all I have for tonight. But if you have any questions, I'd be happy to I'd be happy to hear. And good night, everybody.